of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today's episode is another in my series of collaborations with the Popcorn Network, focusing on the care of adult problems that pediatricians may be tasked with caring for in their facilities during the COVID-19 pandemic. The theme of this episode is delirium, and the content is brought to you by Barrett Berger, a medicine pediatrics resident from Arkansas. I hope that you will find it as informative and educational as I did. You can check out everything the Popcorn Network has to offer at popcornnetwork.org. URL has one N. Take it away, Barrett. Hey, I'm Barrett Berger. I'm a second-year med-peds resident at the University of Arkansas, and I'm here today on behalf of the Pediatric Overflow Planning Contingency Response Network, or POPCORN for short, which is a newly formed collaborative network with over 300 contributors who've come together to help prepare providers, pediatricians in particular, who may not have received specific training in internal medicine. Our group is made up of medical students, residents, advanced practice providers, and physicians from internal medicine, med-peds, family medicine, pediatrics, EM, and other specialties. The primary goal of our network is to help support safe offloading and care for adults, possibly in pediatric-focused centers. We have working groups focusing on health systems, operations, We have working groups focusing on health systems operations, equity, educational materials and resources, social media and communications, and of course, an outcomes and metrics work group so we can improve each day. You can find us at popcornnetwork.org with only one N or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all with the same handle at Popcorn Network, again, with only one N. Today I'll be talking about delirium, something we uncommonly see in kids but see every night in adults. Mr. L is a 75-year-old man who was recently hospitalized after sustaining a fall at home and suffering a broken right humerus. We called shortly after midnight by the bedside nurse that Mr. L has pulled out his Foley catheter and is attempting to leave the hospital. His history is significant only for hypertension, for which he takes less than a pill daily, His wife, via phone, she hasn't been allowed in our hospital due to the ongoing pandemic, says that he has never behaved like this before, but he has been a little more forgetful lately. On exam, he's oriented to himself, but says he's in the Holiday Inn and that the year is 1972. When he's placed back in bed, he moans softly and yells, help, over and over. The charge nurse is adamant, you've got to do something, Doc, he's disturbing the whole unit. What's going on? Is there anything you can do, and is there any way that you could have prevented this? This scenario is stemmed from a combination of medicine board questions and every call I've ever had where I actually thought I'd get to fall asleep. This particular scenario I hated more than any other because the differential for what could be going on was so broad. Uh, There's no clear thing I could fix, and all staff and family members are frustrated and expect me to do something about it. Delirium is strictly defined as a disturbance in attention and awareness that develops acutely and tends to fluctuate, per the DSM-5 criteria. We really don't know why, but theories include neurohormonal imbalance and neuroinflammation. I tell my med students and interns to remember a time they woke up from a deep sleep in a place they weren't used to, like a hotel or somebody else's house, and try to remember the process that they went through to reorient themselves. For one reason or another, certain patients struggle more with this reorientation. 
Uh, we break this down into hyperdelirium, which you can think of as a more active process. Uh, patients can be combative with staph or hallucinate. Or hypodelirium, which patients are much more somnolent, they may refuse to move or interact despite being at baseline earlier. And a lot of experts recommend thinking of it as brain failure. There's two different criteria that we use. The first is the DSM-5. In that, uh, all of the following have to be present. There has to be a disturbance in attention. There has to be a disturbance that develops acutely and tends to fluctuate. There has to be at least one additional disturbance in cognition. The disturbances are not better explained by pre-existing dementia. Disturbances don't occur in the context of severely reduced arousal, and there has to be evidence of an underlying organic cause. The second commonly used tool is CAM, which is the Confusion Assessment Method, performed by bedside nursing and may be more helpful based on our meta-analyses. It requires the first two of the following criteria and either the third or fourth, uh, an acute change in mental status with a fluctuating course. It requires inattention, and then you have to have either disorganized thinking or an altered level of consciousness. Selfishly, uh, I care about this scenario a lot because it happens extremely often and it's frustrating for me and all involved taking care. We think about one-third of 70-year-olds get it while inpatient, 25% of 70-year-olds get it after elective surgery, 40% of all burn patients are reported to become delirious at some point, 50% of all patients after non-elective surgery, 75% of all patients after being mechanically ventilated, And we think that there's about a $164 billion annual health cost that can be attributed to delirium. More importantly, it's strongly associated with very poor outcomes for patients, both short-term outcomes and long-term. The incidence approaches something around 85% in palliative care settings. Uh, The odds ratio is 2 for death, 2.4 for institutionalization, and 12.5 for dementia within 24 months after the first incidence of delirium. And most patients will have baseline impairments for up to 12 months, with many patients never recovering. There was a 2017 article in the New England Journal that uh, proposed using the mnemonic delirium to help think about other causes. Uh, The D in delirium stands for drugs the E for electrolytes, the L for lack of drugs, maybe withdrawal from a a drug the patient was on previously, the I for infection, the R for reduced sensory input, like removal of glasses or hearing aids that the patient is used to. Uh, The next I is for intracranial problems, like a stroke. Uh, U is for urinary or fecal problems, like retention. And M is for myocardial or pulmonary problems. The most common risk factors are older age and dementia and baseline functional disability. Baseline depressive disorder also increases the incidence and risk of delirium. And then it's also important to think about whether the patient has recently been drinking alcohol and maybe withdrawing, may have gotten high-risk medications like hypnotic sedatives, anticholinergics, and opioids, and whether they recently had surgery. The initial evaluation uh, should, first of all, establish safety for patient and staff. And then it's also very helpful to contact any family members and help establish a good baseline for the patient. On initially assessing a patient, it's important to first remember the ABCs, make sure that they have an appropriate airway and that they are mentally aware enough to protect that airway. And then make sure that their vital signs are normal and that they're otherwise medically stable.
then obtained a very rapid but accurate history. What was their last known well time? Do they have any high-risk history that you need to address immediately? Uh, for instance, a risk of acute stroke or previous psychiatric medications that they may be withdrawing from that you need to re-implement soon. It's helpful to know how much and what kind of sedating and psychotropic medications they've been given over the last 24 hours. It's very helpful to know whether the patient uses uh, drugs or alcohol or any other substances in outpatient. And a thorough medirect cannot be overemphasized. Uh, was the patient on chronic benzos at home that uh, were stopped on admission? Did they receive large doses of opioids post-op that they've never received before? Uh, my next usual step is to get a point-of-care glucose and treat that if needed. Uh, hypoglycemia can cause focal neurologic deficits that look a lot like a stroke. Then, of course, a good physical exam is important. Vitals, uh, listen to the heart and lungs to see if there's any change from baseline, especially if a recent operation. And focus really carefully on your neuro exam to see if there's any new focal deficits from baseline. If there are focal deficits from baseline, then I would strongly consider imaging of their brain. Uh, there's a recent Things We Do For No Reason from the Pediatric Hospital Medicine Group uh, that thinks that we really CT older adults more often than we need to for altered mental status, but it's certainly warranted if they have a focal neurologic problem that wasn't there before. It's also very helpful to consider a BMP. Electrolyte abnormalities can frequently cause altered sensorium. And then I would also consider a CBC, UA, culture, of the urine and chest x-ray if you think that there's an infection, depending on what the most likely source is in your patient. I'd consider an ECG if the patient had baseline arrhythmia or was taking uh, high-risk medications or your exam uh, warrants it. And then consider an EEG if seizures are possible. Once you've identified that delirium is present, then uh, management really goes into two big sections. The first is prevention, which is avoiding any high-risk medications. Uh, the geriatric group has a very, very long list of medications that can contribute to delirium. Uh, there's a list of medications called the Beers List, B-E-E-R-S list, that you can find very helpful. Uh, some of the more common medications that uh, you may want to take a look at include benzos, opioids, any non-benzodiazepine hypnotic like zolpidem, uh, any antihistamines or anticholinergics like Benadryl, or oxybutynin, which is often given in an inpatient setting uh, for bladder spasms. And then uh, any antipsychotics, any anti-Parkinson drugs, any anti-migraine medications. All of rooms in the hospital should be brightly lit with shades open during the day and shades down, lights off, TVs off at night, as close as you can mimicking a normal circadian rhythm. It's helpful to give patients a good sleep schedule and make sure that they ambulate daily. Make sure they have their glasses and hearing aids in and on and prescribed. Update the clock in the room, and it's helpful to have a calendar in the room as well. These are all aids for patients to be able to look around their room and orient themselves. We strongly encourage family visits, and in this pandemic time, it's also helpful to have a picture of the patient's family in room with them. And then, of course, make sure that the patient is receiving plenty of either enteral or parenteral hydration every day. As far as treatment of acute delirium, that is a little more challenging because there are some non-pharmacologic things that we can do. It's helpful to have trained nurses and aides on a unit that can uh, sit at patient's bedside and reorient them and manage the complications that can result from their altered sensorium. 
Uh, physical restraint should be removed unless the patient is at risk of harming themselves or others. And this is, frankly, a very nuanced conversation to have with the bedside staff for whom this is a very challenging patient to care for. And if possible, consider taking out any interventional devices on the patient, everything from a Foley catheter to an IV. The pharmacologic treatment of delirium is reserved for patients with acute agitation that's not responding uh, or not relieved with anything else that we've talked about so far. It's important to note that there are no medications that are FDA approved solely for the treatment of delirium. Uh, There's probably not a more misused medication than a benzodiazepine. This should only be used for alcohol or benzodiazepine withdrawal. Uh, but I frequently get asked overnight to prescribe a, a very acute dose of lorazepam or another benzodiazepam for a patient. Uh, antipsychotics have a better favorable risk ratio, but are not without risk. Uh, and all use is off-label. And meta-analyses have concluded that they do not reduce the duration or severity of an episode of delirium. Uh, haloperidol, risperidone, olanzapine, ketiapine, and ziprazidone all have similar efficacy with slightly different uh, risk ratios. Uh, each one has a different combination of sedation and then risk of things like extrapyramidal side effects and cardiac arrhythmias. Those extrapyramidal symptoms to look out for include akathisia, rigidity, and dystonia. We'd recommend starting with the lowest oral dose you have on formulary and then escalate dosing uh, with the assistance of pharmacy and or psychiatry if you have them available at your institution. We like to get an ECG on a patient if we're starting antipsychotic because many of these can prolong the QTC and uh, are arrhythmogenic. There have been some data that suggests that nightly melatonin can decrease the risk of delirium, and I believe that there's currently a uh, RCT uh, implemented for this as well. Uh, you may have limited success with that, but it's always another option that you can use to help get your patient in more of a normal rhythm and baseline. Well, that's it for this episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. Thank you again to Barrett Berger for delivering some great educational pearls on delirium in the adult. If you go to popcornnetwork.org, they've got some one-sheet summaries on a lot of adult topics, delirium included. If you want pediatric content, well, go to PEMblog.com. Follow me on Twitter at PEMtweets and check out the Facebook page. If you have the time, I'd very much appreciate you dropping me a comment, sending me a message on Twitter, or leaving a review of the podcast. The feedback will help me deliver better content going forward. For PEM Currents, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.